We are now in the, the month of December already, and I can't believe how fast time has gone by, but we are now in December, and in the community of believers, we are now in a season known to be the season of Advent. The season of Advent is a time where we reflect on the life of Jesus on his first coming as a baby in a manger born in Bethlehem. And we look and reflect on not only the birth of Christ, but we reflect on the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and the works of Christ, and all that he has fulfilled. Advent season is also a season and a time where we not only reflect in the past, but we have hopeful, hopeful expectations for Jesus' second coming. So with that in mind, I want to encourage you for the remainder of this month, as we are now in the second week of December, that you would take this time to see where you have placed your hopes into. Uh, January through November, that's a long period of time. A lot of things happen in 11 months. A lot of things happen in one day. Imagine what happens in a span of 11 months. And in those 11 months every year, we tend to place our hopes into people, into places and things and certain outcomes of our lives. Uh, but we all know that many times we are met with disappointment where we have placed those hopes into. So December is a time I want to just introduce us and start us off today as a time where we can place our hope where it rightfully belongs, and that is in Jesus Christ. Before I start here, I do want us to reflect on the year of 2020. Um, there has been a lot of changes and a lot of things that have been affected because of certain things that happened this year. The question I want to ask you as we reflect on this year, this past 11 months, is I would like you to think of a word um, that would label or title the year of 2020. If you were to file in a file cabinet the year of 2020, what would you put as that one word? The year of 2020, the year of blank. You know, I, I was asking myself this question as I was preparing the past few days and uh, as positive of a person I am, uh, I couldn't help but to think of this one word that kept getting highlighted in my mind. There was all these words that I tried to mix around, but eventually I was stuck with this one word, and it's not such a positive word. It's actually a negative, a pessimistic word, so to say. Um, I'm sure you have your word that you have chosen in your heart, but for me, the, the word that I have chosen is the word suffering. Suffering is a very mysterious thing in the life of the human or in the life of the believer. Suffering is something we cannot fully understand, especially when it comes according to God's plan for our lives. But suffering, one thing we know for sure, is inevitable. We have no control over suffering around us and in this world. To better understand this word suffering, I want to define it. Suffering is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship few synonyms or a few words that relate to the word suffering are misery, anguish, difficulty, discomfort, torture, and even affliction. A few words that are the opposite of suffering are joyfulness, gladness, and hopefulness. So the opposite of suffering is to be joyful, to be hopeful, and to be glad. But we see that when we are suffering, we are not only going through, undergoing the pain, the distress, the hardship, 
the connecting words we see is when we suffer, we are actually going through misery. We are going through anguish. We are going through difficulty. We are going through torment. And we are even going through afflictions. I believe all of us have suffered one way or another in our lives as we watch and join together here tonight. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a very optimistic, positive person by nature. I guess it's in my personality or even my upbringing. Maybe my mother has raised me to always be positive. But I know that that optimism, that positivity doesn't come from myself. The Lord produces in me and conditions in me to find the good and the bad in situations. And the Lord produces within me the ability to be content with what I have. I am not an optimistic person because of who I am. I am an optimistic person because of who Jesus is. But even so, in the recent days, weeks, and months, I couldn't help but to think and believe that there was more suffering in this year than there was joy. When we think of suffering, we think of our individual lives, our families, our close parameter, the proximity that is near us through friends, families, relatives, our peers, our coworkers and acquaintances. But if we look at the world around us, there is so much suffering behind closed doors in unseen areas of this world that breaks and crushes my heart over and over and over again. For believers, what suffering tends to lead us to is the sense and feeling of abandonment because we trust in a God who is greater than us. We hope in a God who is greater than us. For a non-believer, however, when bad things happen, when suffering happens, they may not always point to God. or They may not always feel abandoned because they don't believe in God. How do you blame a God who you don't believe in? But for believers like you and I, we, when we suffer and suffer and suffer, we feel the sense that God is no longer with us, that God has rejected us, that God has abandoned us, or God is absent in our suffering. And this is not a newfound reaction. This is not a reaction that was revealed in the year of 2020. Even in the Old Testament, when there is suffering, it is always reacted by a sense of feeling abandoned. When you look at the life of David even, David was a servant of God. He was a king of Israel. But how did David get to the point of being a fugitive, a criminal, where his head was at stake? Even the king, King Saul, sought after David. The men and troops sought after David for the death of David. While David is in this condition or position or surrounding of his life, he felt the suffering come upon him, and there he felt abandoned by God. It's a natural reaction for the believer when we suffer and suffer and suffer and feel like nothing good is happening, we automatically think that God is absent or that God has abandoned us. But this is not true. Because God has promised us that he will not forsake us that even though our mother and our father abandon us, God will never abandon us. So what I want to tell you before we begin tonight 
are these words. These words, I believe, are very important to every believer. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart in your suffering. What is the key of the life of the believer? It is that we do not lose heart. But you may be asking Paul, the big question then is how? How do we not, do not lose heart when we are facing such suffering in the life we live? Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to lose heart. It is not a desirable condition. You are not watching tonight because you want to be discouraged. You are watching tonight because you want to be encouraged. You don't want to watch tonight, or you're not watching tonight so that your motivation is stripped away from you. Nobody longs to be discouraged. Nobody. Because for the human and for the believer, not only do we desire, but we need hope and encouragement. And so what if I told you that tonight I have discovered the secret of not losing heart? Or so to say, I have discovered the secret of walking with God in and through our pain and suffering. And what if I told you that I found it in the word of God? Everybody would be interested. Nobody would reject this offer. Nobody would turn away the answer and the solution to this because we all need hope and encouragement. I know for a fact that I don't have to know you personally to know that you have suffered one way or another in your past. And I don't have to know you personally to know that you may be going through suffering currently. The most important point of suffering is this. Our lives are filled with suffering, filled with suffering, and we have no control over that. Our lives are filled with suffering, but our suffering is not meaningless. Our suffering is meaningful. Because even the gospel of Jesus Christ, we look within the good news in itself, though it is good, great, the best news this world could ever receive, there was great suffering in the good news. Even for Jesus, even the gospel that we believe in and cling on to did not come easy and it did not come painlessly. It is the good news that came with great suffering. And this is the word of the Lord for us tonight. But too many times in our lives, we are naturally prone to react to suffering that when we suffer, we want to give up. We want to turn away from God and we lose hope. Even in this past year, um, I have heard these words more so than ever in my past I, have many, I had heard many people tell me, um, life sucks. I have no worth or purpose in my life. I wish I would die now because it would be so much better than what is happening in my life right now. The truth is, these men and women have lost hope. They believe there is no hope, strength, or joy left, and they believe that it is too late for them. And if you are watching tonight, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would set you free from that lie, 
that many fall into because the devil is a liar and this is the lie that he uses to ruin us. I pray that you will know the truth and that you will be set free from this lie. Before I share today's reading and today's passage, I want to share about a man. A man who was born as a baby, just like you and I. A man who lived and walked on this earth just like you and I. A man who suffered greatly in this world. A man that is able to say, I know how you feel. I know what you are going through. Because he himself is the king of suffering. We are looking at the man, the person of Jesus Christ. So today we will be reading from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 45 through 56. I will be reading from the ESV version. If you have your Bibles with you here or at home, I would like you to turn there. If not, we do have it up on the screen for you to read along. If I could just find myself here. Here we go. Matthew 27, verse 45. Let us read God's word. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed. And gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection... They went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among who were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Amen. Uh, brief, brief prayer before we begin. Uh, Lord, we are taking upon a very heavy point of history. Uh, we are reflecting and reading upon a very heavy point uh, that will be addressed today. It is the death of your son, Jesus Christ. Although it is not Holy Week this week, God, help us, Lord, to be reminded that any time is a good time to reflect on this historical event, that it would encourage our hearts to see what has taken place on that day for the sake of our lives to be saved. So, Lord, would you lead us in this time? Would you lead me through your spirit that your word would become across our hearts and touch us individually, in a personal way. Glory be to you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to focus on one verse 
as we spend our time together. And that one verse is verse 46. And then after that, I want to end our time with an application of, so to say, the secret of not losing heart or the secret of walking with God through our pain and our suffering. So 46, this is a very uh, difficult uh, question that Jesus cries out amongst theologians, scholars, and professors. Even to this day, it's become a very controversial verse in the Bible. Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First of all, I want to focus on the cry of Jesus. Cried out with a loud voice and said, Cried out with a loud voice and said. You have to picture yourself in the Bible and it will be much more easier to understand <laughs> what I learned. Um, when Jesus was with the fishermen on the boat, I picture myself on the boat with Jesus and the fishermen. <laughs> in this passage, we have to imagine ourselves being at the hill of Calvary and looking to this man who is hung on the cross. This man cries out with a loud voice. He is hanging on a cross and nearing his death. It is his final moments of his life. At the ninth hour, so we can think of it as 3 p.m., broad daylight, the hottest time of the day. I'm not sure how hot it was that day, but I'm sure he was visible from even a distance as the Bible tells us that the woman, Mary Magdalene, was watching from a far distance and can see everything clearly. 3 p.m., he cries out. You know, in our suffering, we think it's very natural and easy to cry out. Like a baby, when they suffer, when they get hit, they don't know how to speak, so they cry out. When we suffer, when we mourn over a death of a family or a loved one, we cry out. We cry. Crying sometimes makes us feel relieved and refreshed. But I want to look at this from a medical perspective. Jesus on the cross, it was not so easy for someone that is crucified to cry out. It was not even easy for them to breathe normally. A medical perspective here is breathing while crucified is incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. If we look at the image that we have here, that we have prepared, if you look at the left, you see that when you take a breath and you inhale the air into your lungs, your diaphragm which makes space for you to gain more air into your lungs, it is pushed downwards so that it would fill up more with air. Just like a balloon, when you blow up a balloon, it's like the diaphragm being expanded and pushed down. But when you let go of the balloon, like as you see in the exhalation side of the picture, your diaphragm goes back to its normal state in a relaxed position. So you can think about it when you inhale, the balloon is inflating. But when you take a deep breath out, exhale, your diaphragm goes back up to its normal state. When you take a breath in right now, you could tell that your diaphragm has expanded. But when you exhale, you are now in a relaxed position and your diaphragm should be in an upward position. But when you're crucified, if we look at the next image, when your body is only hanging by nails on your hands and feet, it is very difficult for you to breathe. The reason why is the weight of your body, it pulls down on your diaphragm 
So take a deep breath in. Imagine your diaphragm is expanded, but because of the weight, your diaphragm cannot close so easily. The air stays in there, in your lungs. It's like holding your breath and you're trying to exhale, but you can't fully exhale. It's by spurts that you are pushing the air out of your lungs. And the only way that you can do this is that you pull yourself up from your nailed hands and your nailed feet so that your diaphragm can go back to its position. I didn't realize how difficult this was because I've never been crucified and I've never met anyone that's been crucified. I had no scientific or medical knowledge of what this is, but this is what it takes to breathe while on the cross and it's not an easy thing. And on the cross, Jesus yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So much suffering and pain. And we think it's easy to cry out when we're suffering. It is, but Jesus, he couldn't even breathe correctly. And he had the energy and strength to cry out, not just once, but twice. Because the second time he cried out, his spirit left him. I was curious why Eli, Eli, Lama Sebaktani was written just this way. How come nobody changed the way of this Aramaic language? It is because the writer wanted to tell us that this is an eyewitness memory. They could have changed it however they wanted to, but because they wanted us to know that this is the word of God and this is true, this is historical events, historical fact that they left it in the words of the Aramaic language. I never knew that either. Why does Jesus cry this out is my second question. We know the cry, but now is the why. Why? Why does Jesus yell this out? This is a very odd question for him to say. You know, when we look at superhero movies, the final moments of their, before their death, they usually go out really cool or they say this really cool quote and then they give their life. Our hero, our king, in our story of the gospel, he doesn't say, this is my you know, accomplishment and you guys are all going to you know, die if you don't believe in me. He doesn't have any kind of special speech. What he says are seven things, but one thing we hear today is, why have you forsaken me? That's a very odd thing for a superhero to say. And that's a very odd thing for the king of kings to say. Why does Jesus cry this out? He says, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why? That's the big question. One important fact to remember, though, to understand this whole concept of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have to look in Psalm, and we have to look in Psalm 22 to understand better. This is important because Jesus, he knew the Psalms. He knew the law of Moses, and he knew what the prophets had proclaimed in the Old Testament. Some way or another, I believe that Jesus knew this psalm was about him, Psalm 22. I want to briefly share Luke 24, verse 44, before we read Psalm 22. This is what Jesus says. 
Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that somehow this psalm was about him. But what I find interesting is, did David know? David is the writer of this, though he was inspired by the author, the Holy Spirit. David is just writing this in his suffering. But there are some amazing things in this psalm, 10편 22장, that are going to, that's going to blow your mind to see how identical it is with the gospel. So 이 시간에는 10편 22장을 같이 읽도록 하겠습니다. 하지만 1절에서 넘어서 7절, 8절, 또 넘어서 12절에서 18장까지 같이 읽겠습니다. So we're going to go from verse 1 through 7 and 8, 12 through 18. So let's go ahead and read this together and I'm just going to summarize it after we read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Isn't that amazing how in the Old Testament, um, like Isaiah, and even in this example of David's Psalm 22, it's, there's so much detail here. And even in what we read just now, um, if I can briefly share with you uh, just a summarization of these verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from my moaning and groanings? Why are you far from saving me? This is exactly what is happening to Jesus. Verse 7, all who see me mock me and they make mouths at me and they wag their heads. Same thing is happening to Jesus. He's looking down from the cross and he sees these men and women mock him and shake their heads at him. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Same thing happened just like the thieves on the cross or the thief on the cross. If you are the son of God, get yourself off this cross. This should be easy for you. Same thing in the Moment of Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion, surrounded by men and women, ravening and roaring at him. Kill this man, kill this man, death to this man, shouting and hungry like a roaring lion, 
hungry for his death. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of my joint. Poured out like water can be a symbolism of the pouring out of Jesus' blood and all his bones are out of joint. Absolutely. I don't know what it means to be crucified or what it is, but I'm sure this location happens to your bones. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Such imagery here. I couldn't put a dot on this portion, though. Some scholars, some medical practitioners say that this is a place where Jesus actually had a heart attack on the cross, but I don't believe so. Jesus was 33. He was, he was my age. I was his age. Um, you don't have a heart attack at that age so easily. And Jesus didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He didn't have an he- unhealthy heart. Uh, so I don't think that a cardiac arrest took place. But what I wanted to see is that my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. For me, I could be wrong. This is my interpretation. But I felt like Jesus' heart was so melted. Not melted when you fall in love for the first time. It's melted in pain from the abandonment that he faced. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a poth shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. A poth shirt is like, um, so to say, a special material. Think about it as a pot of clay and you leave it out in the sun and it dries up and it dries up and there's not an ounce of moisture in there. And if you drop it, it will just shatter because there is no strength that holds it together. Posture, just like Jesus is saying, or David is saying, excuse me, there is no strength. It is dried up. Jesus, his strength has left him. A single punch to him could knock him out, would bruise his face. He is out of energy. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. This, I believe, is because of his dehydration. He was so thirsty. And remember, David's writing this, which is interesting. You lay me in dust of death. We are dust. And dust too, we return in our death. Jesus knew he was about to pass. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Evildoers. Surrounding Jesus, asking for his death. They have pierced my hands and feet. Jesus was pierced in his hands and his feet. Verse 17 and 18, as we close here on this portion, they stare at me and gloat over me, and they divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Once again, they are gloating over him with eyes that can just pierce through his soul. But what I found interesting is that they cast lots. They roll the dice, the casting lots of his garments. It's not the garment itself that anybody can wear out on the street. It's a collector's item of the man who was crucified that is of great value. That they wanted. That is verse 18. But here's the question that I want to ask you before we move on. When did this, all this that we read, when did this happen to David? When, when, when did this happen to David? When did he experience this? When was David's hands and feet pierced and his clothing casted with lots by the men that were 
down before him. This never happened to David. Commentators have said that Psalm 22, it's not about an illness or it's not even about um, a general persecution or oppression. Do you know what Psalm 22 is describing? It's an execution. Jesus was not just persecuted, he was executed. And Jesus, in crying out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This validifies, it solidifies what Jesus is saying and crying this out is by the Holy Spirit, David was pointing to me, to Jesus. Jesus knew, and in crying this out, he fulfilled what David had wrote in Psalm 22. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 22. And he knew by just knowing the Psalms, and knowing his mission in life, that judgment is about to come down upon him. Jesus is now going to be punished for something that he did not do. And it's not about the fact that he just didn't do anything wrong. He never did wrong. He was sinless. And in his execution, we see it's not just a tragedy. Yes, it was a tragedy. It was a tragic death, but in his execution, there was punishment. We get executed because of a punishment that we deserve. When you look at death row, when you look in prison, there are people that are having life in prison. They naturally can live and die in prison. But when you're on death row, you have a death sentence. There will be a date and time where you will be put to death. And death row, the execution that occurs, it's because of a crime that you committed. And because of the crime that you committed, you are now being punished. What crime did Jesus commit? What did Jesus ever do wrong that he deserved such punishment that led to his execution? If you look at a few verses before we read in Matthew, in, verse, in chapter 27, there is a man named Barabbas. Pilate chose two men. He said, who do you want to be crucified? This man who is a notorious criminal, Barabbas, who is a murderer, who is a thief, who did many wrongs in life, or do you want this man who says he is Jesus the Christ? And the people shouted, Jesus. I never understood it. But I understand it now because Jesus had to die no matter what. It had to be fulfilled. Somebody had to die in place of us. And Jesus went to the cross and died. Verse 45 of today's reading. I know I'm going backwards here, but it connects to why Jesus had to die. Verse 45 reads, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. You know what darkness means in the Bible? When it covers the land, it means that God's judgment is coming. It's a sign of God's judgment here in verse 45. When it covers all of the land, it's a sign 
that it is over all of the human race, God's judgment. Punishment is deserved. And that punishment, that wrath of God, has to come down somewhere or on someone. Someone has to die for this punishment. Jesus was forsaken. Why have you forsaken? He was forsaken because the punishment had to come down on him. He is bearing our sin and he bore our judgment and our punishment. Instead of pouring out his wrath on a world that much deserved punishment, he poured it out on Jesus. This involves some kind of abandonment here. It wasn't easy for the Father. This is what we see as the abandonment that Jesus felt. It was not because God was saying, I'll be right back, and he left the scene of this execution. It wasn't even saying that God was absent, that he truly abandoned his son. No, it wasn't Parishim. God would never abandon his son. If God doesn't abandon us as sinners, why would he abandon his one son, his begotten son, that he loves more than anything? But God knew that this had to happen. And he turns his face away. And Jesus felt that. He felt that absence of intimacy with his father. He felt the absence of fellowship with his heavenly father at that moment. For all of Jesus' life, Jesus and God were so intimate. And Jesus was so obedient. And they remained in fellowship. But at that moment, for that split moment, Jesus knew that this had to happen. And in the same way, God knew that he had to pour out this wrath on him. God's love for us is greater than we imagine. I hope you know that. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, There is no forgiveness of sins. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to die that day. And Jesus took the cross. And he took upon our punishment, our judgment, and our sin, and our iniquities. Suffering with lashes on his back, the crown of thorns, with a pierced side that gushed blood, and beating and not being able to even breathe correctly, he took upon our sins and died. You see, we often see this story from a grounds perspective. We see it from, oh, Jesus has suffered, and he did. But what about God's perspective? When do we ever look at what God must have felt looking at his son on the cross? I don't have children, 
but I can't imagine if my son or daughter was taken from me, put a cloth over their head, and a gun pointed to their face, and shot dead. As a father, I don't even think I can look at that. And I think God felt the same way. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, my God, my God. We see what he is saying, but do you notice what he's not saying? Jesus is not saying, My head, my head, it hurts. Or my hands, my hands, get me off of this cross. My feet, my feet. He's not complaining about that. He never says that. He doesn't even say, my friends, my friends, you have abandoned me. He doesn't condemn them either. What Jesus says, rather, in the physical pain, the mental pain, the emotional pain, and the pain of losing the fellowship of his father in that moment, he just screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is not a physical suffering that he's crying about. It is not even a relational suffering that he's crying about. What is he crying about? I want to share a quick portion of a commentary by John MacArthur here in this portion. And nowhere in Scripture can we behold the reality of Jesus' sacrificial death and the anguish of his separation from his father more clearly and penetratingly than in his suffering on the cross because of sin. In the midst of being willingly engulfed in our sins and the sins of all men of all time, he writhed in anguish, not from the lacerations on his back or the thorns that still pierced his head or the nails that held him to the cross. But he writhed in anguish because the painful loss of fellowship with his heavenly father that his becoming sin for us had brought. Jesus is suffering from the painful loss of fellowship with his heavenly father. Because of our sin that he bore, Jesus suffered for you and I once again and for the punishment of this world and bore it on the cross. And the question, was this suffering necessary? Absolutely. Unfortunately, it was necessary. Because of why? Because of us. Jesus suffered greatly because of you and me. And we have to know that. We have to be convicted of that. We have to know we are guilty of punishment. We are guilty of our sins, that we deserve sin. If we are not guilty, then we will never accept the gospel. The world will tell you, don't feel guilty. Don't let other people make you feel guilty. You are in control of your life, of right and wrong. If there is no guilt, then we are far from Jesus. We need to understand that first. And now here is the conclusion and the point of our application. 
What is the secret of not losing heart? And what is the secret of walking with God through our pain and suffering? And to understand this, we have to read from the Bible. Because Bible gives us everything we need to know if we look. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. I'll briefly share this portion of our time together as before we close. So we do not lose heart, or therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are transient, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. It is found here, brothers and sisters, how we can find a place where we can truly not lose heart if we put our effort. Verse 17 reads, Our light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. It doesn't say that our light momentary affliction will be followed by an eternal weight of glory, which is good too. But it says that our light momentary affliction, the Greek word here is producing, it is preparing us and it is working in us that every second of your pain, every moment of your suffering in the path of obedience, it is producing a peculiar glory because of that. There is something happening that we cannot understand, that we cannot see in the suffering we face, in the path of obedience. This is being spoken to believers, by the way. And if anyone says to a believer that your suffering is meaningless, they are wrong. Our suffering is not meaningless. Verse 17 is saying that my light momentary affliction is doing something in my life. It is not meaningless. Verse 18, of course, we are not able to see what is happening. We are not able to feel what is happening. But it is happening within us. What is the unseen that you are supposed to look at? The question of 18, what is then the unseen that we are to look at? It is the answer in verse 17, the promise of God. That your suffering is producing something in you. Your pain is doing something for you. And you have two options in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. In your suffering, you can hold to the promise of God in verse 17 and you may believe with the eyes of faith for what is said in the truth in the word of God or you can lose heart. Many times we lose heart. But tonight, the word of the Lord is telling us do not lose heart. And your suffering is not meaningless. When someone dies, when an accident happens, 
When there's pain all over the world, you may hear from the world of non-believers, that is meaningless, that was worthless. Why did they have to die like that? But to us, we know it is not meaningless. Don't look to what is seen because what is seen will tell you that your suffering is meaningless. Look to what is unseen. What is the things that you see? Your mother or dad passes away. Your mother or dad is diagnosed with cancer. You lose a close, beloved friend in your life. Your child is in a terrible accident and is dead. These are the things that are seen, and we may see that and respond to that as that was meaningless. Why did this happen? There's no point of this. Why? What is the worth of this? But when you look at the things that are unseen, the eternal weight of glory that is being stored in heaven, this will help us to not lose heart. So I'm going to close with this. How do we not lose heart? It tells us in verse 16. So, or therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How do we not lose heart? We need to be renewed each day by the gospel, by the word of God. We need to preach to ourselves every day and have the renewing of our spirit so that we may not lose heart. We reflect on the gospel. We reflect on the sermons that are preached. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We must be renewed each day and remember in God's kindness, he comforts us. Don't blame God for what happens in your life. Ask him, question him. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? In my child's death, my mom's dead, or my dad's death, what is happening? My God, my God. I want to close our time by reading Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, and I'll pray for us. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. Father, we thank you, God. Oh, Lord, what a word that you have given, that you are teaching and instructing, God. So much that we can learn so much we have to learn from your word. And as we are reminded, Lord, though there is suffering around us, though there is suffering that we are hurt by and suffering that we cannot explain, Father, we take on not what people tell us or what the world tells us about our situation, but we turn to the word of God. Therefore, do not lose heart Help us, Lord, 
Give us renewed strength each day, God, that even though we suffer, that we may not lose hope in you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name.